our lives. So we welcome all you guys that are watching us wherever you're at. Get this podcast. I want to throw this out. They're good back there about if I mention something that's already been published, one of our videos, they'll tag it on the end of that particular service. So a lot of times in, uh, I'll be mentioning the like the x-ray, especially in this teaching, that little clip on the x-ray, so they'll tag that on there for you that are watching or uh, watch these videos or get this podcast. So uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans 14, and let's pray, and let's see what the Lord has to say to us tonight. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this day we have. We thank you for your mercy, your long-suffering, all the things that we're so desperate for on this journey. We can't make it without you, Lord. We need your love. We need your forgiveness. We need your guidance. We need the Holy Spirit. We need your word. We're dependent on you. We really are doulos. We are those servants that are totally dependent on you. And we thank you, Lord, for showing mercy toward us, for coming after us, for forgiving us of our sins and giving us new life, Lord. You, we thank you for all you do and all your mercy and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go to Romans 14, verse 16. So I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight. Uh, I'm going to read through this, point out something that we all need to uh, pay attention to. Uh, I'll go back and point this out in a few verses in chapter 4 earlier in just a minute. Well, let's pick up with verse 16, and then we're going to go to the Jewish New Testament because they've done a masterful job here in Romans with helping us understand Everything we need to understand. So it says, uh, therefore, it is of faith, verse 16 of Romans 4, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, which would be the Israelites, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, which would include us, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which, are, which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations. And I'm going to un, unscramble this for you in just a minute. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body, speaking of Abraham, already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, of course she was 90, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted... That word in the old King James is still imputed, and, uh, and then we're going to pay attention to that in just a minute. To him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for his, us that it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So... I want to first look at this word imputed, and let's go back to verse 6 of this passage, <clears throat> chapter 4. Uh, he says, but to him who does not work, let me back up to verse 5, but to him who does not work but believes on him, which is capitalized, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for, is counted for us. So that's us, right? We believe on Christ, and our faith is accounted to righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom the Lord imputes righteousness apart from works. All right? Look at verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So this transitory verb here is used in both ways, right? He imputes righteousness and he does not impute sin. So that's, I want you to pay attention to this word. Look at verse 11. Same chapter. He says, um, uh, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of, a, of the righteousness and the faith which he had while he was still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, 
that righteousness might be imputed to them also. So Abraham's basically the father of all people who believe, whether you live, lived under the law or whether you got under the new covenant, he's, he's the father. So verse uh, 22, he says, and therefore it was accounted or imputed to him, same word there, for righteousness. Uh, and then verse 23, again, that was written for his sake, uh, for righteousness. And it might have been, did we miss one? Uh, maybe not. 24 is the last one, yeah. Uh, so, imputed, this word imputed is logosomai. It's the Greek word that we translated imputed most of the... Well, it was translated imputed every time in the Old King James. Here every time, but accounted is the same, same word, logosomia. And it means to reckon, right? In other words, it's credited to your account when we use that word. And if I say it's not imputed, then it's not credited to your account, right? So this word, you have, you have a credit on your account because of this, that to place, and in, in, the, in, the con, in the context of what we're talking about here, Jesus, think about this now, our sin was imputed to Him. It was put on Him. His righteousness, when we believe, gets imputed on us, right? So we talk about that a lot here, and I've got my hankies, thank you, uh, that when I get when I believe in Christ and His finished work, then I get clothed in His righteousness, right? So it's not, I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I just believed on Him. And so this righteousness got imputed to me. It got credited to my account, all right? So when that happened, now the journey that I'm on between here and glory, when I'm called home or when we all get raptured, whichever comes first, that this same righteousness is now imparted. That's, that's the journey I'm on. That this righteousness is imparting into my life as I walk with God all the while I'm imputed. All right? While it's imputed. So I'm clothed, and then this same righteousness is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is imparting that, flooding who I am. So that I'm what, what's happening to you and I if we're walking with the Lord. You don't... You don't in, in your position, you are righteous. But you may still have things in your life you don't know, you don't understand, right? So I wish I'd have known this first thing, but it took me a while to learn this, that discipleship is, is a journey, not a destination. So we're, we're on this journey. So why would God be doing this? Why would He keep me clothed and at the same time this same righteousness is is the design is for that to be imparted into my life because he's trying to conform you and I into the image of his son. Right? So your position, you get positionally put in the family because you believed. You and I are adopted into the family of God. So we're clothed. we got a new garment. But we're not like Christ immediately. We, we have to grow. We have to learn. So... My position is, is fine, it's, right? But this, what's going on in there? What's going on in there? <laughs> Only God and your wife knows what's going on there, right? Yeah. And so God, God's working on us because Paul said, I'm travailing in birth till Christ is formed in you. He talked to a bunch of people that he'd led to Christ. So this journey you're on, don't get discouraged. You're going to fall sometimes. You're going to miss a mark. You're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to do what Floyd did on Andy Griffith. You remember that? When he had a pen pal and he lied to that lady and told her he was all this and he wouldn't. And he runs over to the mirror and he says, You're a wretch. You're just a wretch, right? I'm telling how old I am, right? But we all feel that way, right? You think, man, did I really do that? Did I really, you know? And so that's, that's the journey you're on so that that Christ would be formed in you and that He would not only clothe you with righteousness, but He would flood your life with righteousness. So that imputed means that He took the fault, placed it on Himself. All of our sin was laid on Him. And He gave us righteousness and gave it to us. Isaiah talks about that, don't he? He said He'll give us glory for despair, beauty for our ashes. He, he talks about how God gave us His best 
and took our worst and he and he our worst and he done all that in Christ. That's how he how he achieved that. He let Christ carry all of our garbage and he gave us his best. And that's that's the power of this relationship. That's what brings us. So the there's an old uh, psalm, uh, Psalm 3, where it talks about He's the glory and the lifter of our head. And, and in cultures, if you uh, and even in Israeli culture, people who couldn't pay their debts were shamed and had hardship and had to sometimes give themselves as a slave for a certain period of time to work off their debt or whatever. Uh, and so back in that culture, and it, and it, it happens here. When I grew up, I grew up in a holler. And so I, I remember these, all these old stores. We had stores all over the place, just old country stores where people, everybody still didn't drive at that time. When I grew up, a lot of people still had outhouses. Anybody know what, I'm, what an outhouse is? Yeah. That's where you kept the Sears catalog. <laughs> so you, uh, uh, and people still did a lot of that, and... And you had those old country stores. Or sometimes you'd go in a, one of those stores and somebody wrote a bad check, right? And they would, they would have like a post and they would have that check on that post or they'd have a piece of glass on the counter and underneath the, the glass would be these NSFs, right? Non-sufficient funds. And they would try to shame the people, right, that was coming in. And so that happened. That's been in all cultures. So even like in Israel, if somebody had a debt, Sometimes they would have a post in the middle of the town and they would post that debt in his order to shame and that person would have their head hung. And so sometimes somebody would come by and pull that debt off that post and pay that for somebody and they could be able to lift their head. They would be clear of their debt. That's what God did for us. All of us were living in shame of our sin. We were posted non-sufficient funds. We didn't have enough to pay our debt off, right? We couldn't pay for our own sin. And so he, Jesus really is the glory and the lifter of our head. He, he took our debt. He took it. That got imputed to him. And then he gave us his righteousness when we believe on him. The most horrible thing about missing heaven, well, there's a lot of horrible things about missing heaven, but the, the most... Uh, horrible's not the right thing to say because hell's horrible. I mean, worm dies not. It's going to be a place of torment. I get that. But just think about why somebody misses heaven because they packed their own sin instead of giving it to Jesus. How horrible is that? Somebody's already carried our sin, but instead of giving it to him, willing to carry our sin, instead of giving it to Him, you carry it all the way to judgment, and you won't win, or I wouldn't win that way. It's just tragic. That's the word I'm looking for. It's tragic that there's, a, there's someone that's willing to carry our sin and take our sin, but yet we won't give it to Him, and we're going to try to stand before God. And He made a way out. He made a way of escape with His Son. So... They place, we place all of our faults on Jesus. We, all that gets imputed to Him, and we get the righteousness. Now, let me read to you from verse 16 of chapter 4 from the Jewish New Testament. And then we're going to go somewhere in the book of Hebrews to see what's actually going on here with Abraham. And then we'll try to get into chapter 5. <clears throat> verse 16 says... Listen, listen to this and see, see how it sounds to you. It says, The reason the promise is based on trusting is so that it may, be, may come as God's free gift. A promise that can be relied on by all the seed. Not only those who live within the framework of the Torah or the law, but also those with the kind of trust Abraham, Abraham had for all of us. So everybody, by faith. This accords with the Tanakh, which is the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, where it says, I have appointed you to be a father to many nations. Speaking of Abraham. Abraham is our father in God's sight because he trusted God as the one who gives life to the dead and calls non-existent things into existence. 
Now that's an important line because Abraham's past, him and Sarah both are past having a child. And none of that is, is possible in the natural realm. But we got a supernatural God, right? And he says, for he was past hope, right, in the natural. They couldn't have a child. He was past hope, yet he, in hope he trusted that he would indeed become a father to many nations in keeping with what he had been told. So many will your seed be. His trust did not waver when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered that Sarah's womb was dead too, he did not by lack of trust decide against God's promises. On the contrary, by trust he was given power as he gave glory to God. For he was, speaking of Abraham, fully convinced that what God had promised he would also accomplish. That is why it was credited to his account as righteousness. There's that imputing. It was credited to his account because he believed God. But the words, uh, but the words it was credited to his account were not written for him only. This is good news. They were written also for us who will certainly have our account credited too. Isn't that good news? Because we have trusted in him who raised Yeshua, which is Jesus, our Lord from the dead. Yeshua, who was delivered over to death because of our offenses, right? So those got put on him, and he put his righteousness on us, and raised to life in order to make us righteousness, righteous. So that's what happened. Now let me take you to the board. I think I shared this last week. It's important to understand this, though, uh, that Abram who became Abraham, and then the law came, and then Christ. This, it's always been faith that God's looked for. The law came, as I said last week, to do two things, to prove to us our need for a Savior and our inability to please God in our own strength. We're stubborn. So God said, okay, I'm after faith, but you need to be, right, show me, right, show me I can't do this. And then, so he sent the law and said, if you want to live with me forever, this is what you've got to keep. We couldn't keep it. So it's always been faith God's after. The law was only given as a schoolmaster, as an x-ray, as we put it. So Abram, who became Abraham, right? And that's how God breathed life into him. Picture of salvation, right? And because he done what? He believed. He had faith. He had what we call in the New Testament, he had pisteo. The verb form of faith in the New Testament that undergirds all believing in faith in the New Testament. And two words in the Old do the same thing. Hasa and batak do that in the Old Testament. They are verbs as well. It means to run to the shelter and lean, to the, lean on the staff. They're, they require action. So true faith has action with it, right? James said faith without works is dead. So if you really have faith, it's not just something... You sit around and say, I believe up here. You act on that. You, your life goes to that. You give yourself to that, all right? So Abraham, it's always been faith that God's after, right? He's always wanted faith, but we have to be... If you've raised children, you know that's true, right? Sometimes they think they can do things they cannot do, right? And so God, we, or as a parent, we, sometimes we just let them try it. Yeah, go ahead and give it a shot there, right? To prove to them they need somebody else to help them. That's what God did. We're, he's the father, we're the children. So he proved to us with this law that we all said, uh-oh, that's what you want? <laughs> we can't do that, right? But we have to be proven that way. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 on the heels of, of chapter 4 there out of Romans. And let's look at uh, verse 8, verse 8 in, in chapter 11 because this is going to talk to us about Abraham. Remember what he said? He said he, he, his body was dead and that hope, if he looked at it just in the natural, that hope was not working. But he had a supernatural God who gave him a promise. Now think about that. Think about that. There's things in the heavenly 
that are far more powerful than anything we see in the natural. We don't walk by sight, we walk by faith, Paul said. And Abraham did that. So Abraham, in the natural, said, this can't happen. In the supernatural, it can happen. And that's what he was hanging on to. Verse 8, it says, uh, speaking of Abraham, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He was Abram then, right? He was a Chaldean. Later on, God breathed and changed his name to Abraham. His line became known as the Israelites, the Jewish folks. Then he says, And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, uh, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him on the same promise. Now that's something we've got to get out of. You, God don't give us every detail. What we're supposed to rest in, and I, I've lost this Hebrew word. I, keep, I can't remember which Hebrew word it is, but in the Old Testament there's a Hebrew word that means God's already been around the corner before we get there. That's where we rest. We don't rest because we know what's around the corner. We rest because the one we serve and follow, and have given, he knows what's around the corner. The Bible says Abraham went out didn't know where he was going, but he was building a relationship with God. So he goes out and he says, uh, By faith he dwelt in this intent, so with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child, and when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. So they, they hung on to the promise, not what they saw in the natural. Now let me say this to you, and I want to preach to you a little bit right here. Um, you and I, if you get a promise from God, let, I'm, I'm talking about a rhema promise. When you go to the Bible, there's two, two words in the New Testament that are used to describe God's word. Logos and rhema. Logos is the written word. Rhema is a revelated word. And so if you go, if you, sometimes I read the scripture and I, I read it, I understand the principles behind it, what it's saying to me, and I, and I try to build my life on that. But sometimes I'll go to the scripture and read a verse or two and I'll think, God is talking to me directly at that moment, right? That's a rhema word, a word that gets revelated for your moment, for your situation. And so they, they, they were hanging on to this revelation that God had given them, even against the natural. Now, when you get some kind of revelation from God, if God speaks to you and says, I'm going to do such and such in your life, or I'm going to answer a prayer, or you, you get some kind of word in the Word, or you get a word from the Holy Spirit while you're praying, here's, I, I, I can't guarantee you this, but I would just say most of the time, the devil's going to set up something just the opposite of that. He wants you to get discouraged. He don't want you to believe God's Word. He, don't, he will set up... What do you think about Joseph? Joseph gets all this stuff from God, and next thing you know, he's getting sold to the gypsies headed to Egypt. Sold. And then the next thing, he's feeling pretty good. Probably he's coming back out of his trouble. Uh, he's, Potiphar's, he's get, climbing the ladder in Potiphar's house. Bam! In jail, prison. You know, the devil wants to try and get us to back down. He knows. Now listen, he knows this better than we do a lot of times. He knows he cannot stop God's Word. He knows it. He's been trying for 6,000 years to do that. What he has to do is try and get us to back off. He knows he can't stop God's promise. Listen, everybody says what the preacher believes. And you all can be wrong if you want to. That's up to you. But I believe there's probably a moment in time where every demon from hell was at the same spot. Every one of them, I believe, was at that tomb that day. Trying to keep Jesus from coming out of that tomb. Because if he could have kept Jesus from coming out of that tomb, then the devil wins, right? He couldn't. He couldn't stop him. There was not the same, and the Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Ugh. Man, I felt that. And that, that we, the devil knows he can't stop God. He just, what he tries to do is get us to back off. Back away. Not, not trust, not believe, right? 
And, and everything about Abraham was that way. And so when you get a word from God, the devil's going to try to throw something right up in front of it that looks the total opposite of that, right? And so they believed God. Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Can you imagine her going to her friends where they uh, were so, at the sewing club? She's 90-something. I'm pregnant. Imagine that. Imagine her telling her friends that. But she believed God, right? Therefore, from one man, as him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, the innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. We're not done with Abraham. He says, and these, uh, these all died in faith, right? Look at verse 17. By faith, if that's the Lord answered, if it ain't, turn it off. We all want to talk to him if that's the Lord. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said. Now listen to what he does here. In Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In other words, Abraham knew that the promise was coming through his son. God had already sealed the deal on that. So he knew that if he had to sacrifice him, God was going to turn around and raise him from the dead. And figuratively, that's what was. Because uh, that was a picture of Christ, right? And then you have the substitute, the, the, the ram caught in the thicket that took the place of Isaac, just like Christ takes the place of us. So it's all beautiful stuff, but it, it, it's because these people believed. And one of the problems we have is letting the natural stuff interfere with the promises we get, right? That, that's the big battle in the faith journey. It's like we, there are certain promises that are spelled out for all of us, and then sometimes we all get revelations. We get a rhema word from God that's suited just specifically for us. You know God's talking to you. You know He's offering something. You know He's going to come through. But those natural things, that's what happened to Peter, right? Peter's fine as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. You and I will be fine as long as we keep our eyes and our heart turned to the Word of God. But it's when we start looking around that we start sinking, right? And that's what happened to Peter. But this is something the Lord taught me early on. When I, when I went to college, I went to college on a basketball scholarship to play basketball. I was running from God. I had got called to preach the gospel when I was a junior in the high school. And, and I don't think it was necessarily that I wasn't going to go on to college and do that because God used that season in my life to train me. But I was running. I could have just, if I would have just said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Now, I wasn't one of those guys that said, I ain't preaching. I just told the Lord, I, I'll preach later. That's what I thought. I said, I'm not preaching now, right? So, I, so that happened when I was a junior in high school. By the time I got to college as a freshman, I got there and Everything was falling apart. I broke my foot twice uh, my freshman year. My grades were going backwards. Everything was, was, was going downhill, and I developed an ulcer. Now, you're talking about a 19-year-old boy with an ulcer. And so I, I went to uh, the, the, the trainer. They sent me to the hospital to get an x-ray, and you have to drink that chalk and everything. And, and uh, the, the guy come back and said, you, you've got an ulcer. And he knew I was a basketball player at the college and all that. He looked at me and he said, what are you doing with an ulcer? You're 19 years old. You're an athlete. What's wrong? And I just said, never mind. I knew why I had an ulcer because I was running from God. And I could not, I could not escape the call, right? God was just, he wouldn't beat me up. This life wasn't going that great. And I was uh, running from God and I developed an ulcer because I was at odds with God and, and I could only get a little relief. If anybody's ever had an ulcer, you get a little relief after you eat food and then it, 30 minutes later, it just comes right back, that dull pain. And so I was, had a broke foot and I was uh, out after curfew because I thought, well, what's it matter if I'm out after curfew? I can't run, play, no way. Well, one of the coaches spotted me out after curfew. Life was getting, going from bad to worse. And I was hobbling around town with a cast on trying to hide from the coach. And he was in a little Ford Escort trying to find me. 
And I was going down behind houses. In, I was trying to make it back to the, the dorm before he really was able to talk to me, even though I knew he had spotted me. And so I uh, run, and I got in front of this big church and rolled underneath these big pine trees in front of that church. And who do you think I rolled into? I rolled straight into the Holy Spirit. He was waiting on me there under those pine trees. And I broke. I broke that night. And I went to the dorm. I went the next morning, turned myself in, told him, I said, I, I was out after curfew. And he already knew. And he said, well, he said, I appreciate you coming to tell me. He said, but I can't run you because you got to cast on. But I still had this ulcer. And so I started preaching the next semester. I started preaching on campus. And this is the lesson I wanted to share with you. I was getting ready to preach one Wednesday night on campus. And um, I was laying in my bunk and I was thinking, I was praying for this to go away. And I'd had all these students who were gathering with me for the services every week. I had them praying for me. And the Lord spoke to me. And as, as I was praying to go across campus that night and minister, he said, your healing has already been paid for and finished in the spiritual realm. He said, it's a done deal. He said, what you're waiting on is the manifestation in the natural realm. I had never heard that before, but it was the Holy Spirit. But I knew at that moment I had to, I had to walk that out. I knew that was my moment to hang my faith on it. And you're talking about a 20-year-old 20, 20 guy at this point, maybe 21. And uh, I'm 57, so you do the math. That was 36 years ago. I went across campus. I, I, I spoke, and I told there was probably 80 students in that because the Lord was really starting to move, and uh, people were getting saved. And So I, I preached that night, and at the end I said, this was my act of faith. I told them, I said, you all can quit praying for me now because the Lord told me I was already healed. And see, that was my act of faith. I got a word, and I had a choice. I could act on it or back off. So I acted on it and had a confession for it. Went back to my bunk, still hurting, by the way, when I left the service. Woke up the next morning. I've not had ulcer since. What I want to say to you is this. God's a, listen, let's, let's rule this out. God can do anything. He can heal ulcers. He can heal AIDS. He can heal blinded eyes. He can raise the dead. He can do anything. If he can't raise the dead, we're all in trouble. And if you can raise the dead, you can do anything. Right? So let's settle that. God can do anything. What, how do we step into those moments? How do we move? First thing, we've got to educate ourselves and realize there's a battle going on in the spiritual realm. There, Paul said, we don't fight flesh and blood. We fight things we cannot see. You remember when Daniel was praying and Gabriel showed up? He said he, he was on his way. It took him 21 days before he showed up. He said, because I was battling the prince of Persia. There was a demonic force over that region that he was clashing with. And that's what I shared with you all a couple of Wednesdays ago, that there's a demonic stronghold that's moved into our region. And I could feel it the other day. And so we got to be on guard and got to be praying and, 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 and interceding. But you, you got to understand the battle's already been won in the spiritual realm. We pray for the manifestation of those things in the natural realm. What do we tell people when, they're, when they need to be saved? We say, it's already been paid for. It's already bought and paid for. You just got to receive it, right? Believe it, receive it. So that's what he does. He calls things that are not that's who God is, as though they be. Now, let's go back to Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, he's continuing with this same thought. He says, speaking of believing, speaking of being justified, he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, in verse 1 of chapter 5, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That all happened because of Him. It didn't happen because of us. It happened because of Him through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces consistency, perseverance, hupomene, and hupomene or consistency or perseverance 
character. And character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint. So what happens if our character is not built right in the Lord? It interferes with everything. Everything. God is building our character and He's taking us through journeys to do that because God's working on eternal creatures. If, if you think about this, you and I are going to live forever with God. What if you were going to live with you forever? What would you be doing to you? Think about God's perspective, right? He's got to live with us forever. He's taken us on journeys so that His Son will be conformed and will be conformed in the image of His Son. That's what God's doing. You, I hate to tell you this. I don't care if you're 32 or 92. God's still working on you. He left you here. He's still working on you. And then He says, He says uh, that, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing this because it produces character. Verse 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in the hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. Because this word hope is elpizo. And it's the Greek word that we translate hope. And, it, and the reason, if, if I use the word hope in the English language, most of the time it's got a question mark with it, right? Uh, if I say I hope it don't rain, or I hope I get an income tax return, whatever. Or I hope this, or I hope that. It's, there's a question mark, but not here because of who it's in, right? This is hope without a question mark is how I like to describe this Greek word because of who it's in. It's in Christ. Every, all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. So you, when you have put your hope in Him, there's no question mark. If I say, I hope it don't snow, I don't have any control over that. So I have to put a question mark behind that. Or if I say, I hope this happens or that happens. But when I'm talking about Christ, there's no question mark there. Because He is sure, He's steadfast. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly, right? Even when we were sinners... We didn't know it. We didn't understand. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Do you realize what Jesus has done for you and me? Everything. He's done everything for us. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. They don't, when somebody gets, is coming to be born again, saved, redeemed, however you want to say that, when they're coming to come to Christ, they don't get put on hold and say, let me go over the list and see if you're on the list to be saved or not. He died for everybody. He paid the price. He paid the penalty for everybody. Then He says, he says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled through his death. Son, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He says in verse 10, verse 11, says, And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So we get reconciled, and we are given the ministry of reconciliation. Like we were talking about Sunday, we have to go fishing. We have to go fishing. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. What did Paul say? When the law came, sin come to life, and I died. Because there wasn't no, right? Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life 
through the one Jesus Christ. So headship, it's about headship. Now, you may say, well, I don't like being included with Adam because, but you've got to think about it for a minute. I have no stones to throw at Adam because I've seen enough out of my own life to know I'd have blown it in the garden too. If you don't like headship, that's a mistake because Christ is our head and because of the headship, we have eternal life. We wouldn't have gotten it otherwise. So that headship, it sounds bad at first, right? Well, why am I a sinner just because the, guy, the first guy sinned? Well, we would have all sinned in the garden. We don't have, but headship's a beautiful thing because now I'm made righteous not because of what I've done, not because of my track record, but because of what Jesus has done. That's the good news of the gospel, right? Uh, he says, For by one man's offense death reigned, and so by grace and through Christ's work we all have eternal life. Verse 18, Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. That is the good news. That's our defense. That's why, you know, there are going to be people on Judgment Day try to reason with God. Jesus talks about that. They're going to come up and say, but Lord, we've done this, we've done that. They're going, to, they're going to try to reason, get into heaven by reasoning. You don't get there. Jesus gave a parable. He said, who's the guy over there without a garment? At the wedding. He said, kick him out. And then he said, go out in the hedges and highways, like we talked about Sunday, and get all the lame, the halt, the outcast, invite them in. He said, because the people that were originally invited, they're not coming. So your garment is your protection. It's not your track record. It's your garment. And he says... <clears throat> Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So that's what, see, that's what Paul's talking about. That's why I showed you this with the law, if I didn't erase it. Yeah, so with the law came to show us just how bad we were and how incapable we were. It's up there somewhere. It's coming here in just a minute. So their inability and our need, Right? That came to life, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm not doing it. And here's what Paul says in another place. He said, if you break the law in one place, you break the whole law. See, that's what's wrong with a lot of folks, especially in Jesus' time, probably still today. They feel like they're better than somebody else because they didn't do as bad of a thing that they think they did. Right? But the Bible says if you break one part of the law, you broke the whole law. And, and, and I, I want to say this to you. When you come to the New Testament, people think it was, it's easier. That's not what happened in the New Testament. The New Testament is where we got more strength to live the way God wanted us to live. Remember what he said to the disciples. He said, the Spirit is with you, but He shall be in you. Right? So we got more strength. Christ lives in us. We have more strength than they had access to in the Old Testament. So that's what happened. The standard didn't drop. And I, that bugs me to no end when I run across so-called Christians that act like the standard dropped. The standard went up. If you think about it, it didn't drop. In the Old Testament, you got stoned for certain things, right? For adultery or for whatever. In the New Testament, he said, you, you, you got, you, if you took a life of another and it wasn't self-defense, you, you gave your own life, Right? But in the New Testament, he said, you can murder somebody with your tongue. And he said, you can commit adultery by just looking at someone. That's not a lower standard than the Old Testament. That's a higher standard than the Old Testament. But the, 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 what happened was, it's like the guy who couldn't do certain tasks because he wasn't strong enough, Right? And then he went and worked out or whatever he did to learn to get stronger so he could do that task. That, what happened when we come to the covenant is 
we got more strength in Christ, right? We have more strength. I, I, I often think about the Old Testament saints thinking, they probably looked at the New Testament thinking, these guys are going to be super-duper followers of God because they're going to have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Wouldn't they be disappointed with the modern church? But we, the, the standard didn't drop. That's not what happened in the New Testament. If anything, the standard went up a little bit. But the ability and the strength that we have access to has grown tremendously. Because now we have the whole written word of God given to us. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. We have the Holy Spirit given in a totally different measure than they had in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament. He showed up for certain tasks in certain moments. Paul said the Holy Spirit was on Isaiah when he was prophesying. Paul, uh, the Holy Spirit rested on Samson for certain tasks, certain moments. But in the New Testament, he lives in us. That's why he said to his disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit's with you, but he's getting ready to be in you. What a transformation. What a transformation for the people of God that now we have strength that, we, that they didn't have. God didn't drop the standard. <clears throat> if God had to drop the standard, he's not God. We're not living. Let, let, me, let me close with this in just a moment. We're not living. Let me read the rest of this and I'll make a point and I'll close. In verse uh, 20, he says, Moreover, the law entered in that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. And everybody said, Amen to that. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now let me tell you what's going to happen. These next two chapters are magnificent because they give us a way to win. They give us the victory. They give us our position, our condition. And they, these scriptures, these next two chapters, two or three, maybe the next three chapters, four, right the rest of the book, <coughs> teaches us how to win. It'll teach you how to overcome sin, these next few chapters. Let me say something to you, and as I close, I want you to hear this. <clears throat> there, and we're going to run across this in this book. When, when you, some of you may have been taught wrong like I was, and I've done my homework, so what is the good, what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God? If you grew up in one of the circles like I did, you were, may have been taught there are three wills of God. There's His acceptable will, there's His good will, and there's His perfect will. That's not what the Bible's saying there at all. You read that in the Greek, there's one will that's modified by three adjectives. His will is good, His will is acceptable, and His will is perfect. God don't settle for less than our best. He's full of mercy, waits on us, works with us, but He's not settling. God don't settle with that. His son got nailed to a tree. You think God's okay with you just humdrumming along? I don't think so. But He's long-suffering, He's patient, He's merciful. God is not a tolerant God. If He were tolerant, He would have never nailed His son to a tree. That's not tolerance. When we're outside of the will of God, there's only one will. When we're outside of the will of God, we're experiencing mercy and long-suffering, not tolerance. They're miles apart. Tolerance is as if there's some way that, that somebody's settling. They're okay with it. That's not God. God's not a tolerant God, like I said, or He would have never nailed His son to a tree. He's merciful and He's long-suffering. But He wants His will done in our life. And that's why He's after you. That's why He... I'll take you to Psalm 23. At the end of Psalm 23, it says, Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me tell you a New Testament verse. God will be faithful to complete what He started in you. There ain't enough demons in hell to stop it. But let me, let, me read, let me quote the end of that Psalm 23 in the Hebrew. It says it like this. Surely goodness and mercy will chase me down all the days of my life. 
That's why I preached to you Sunday when I said, do you real? Every one of us can testify how much God come after us. Even when we ignored Him. I ignored Him for two or three years about preaching. I put Him off and put Him off and put Him off to where I, I couldn't put Him off anymore. But you, we know how some of us, maybe everybody in this building, backed away from God for a season in your life. And you know how merciful the Holy Spirit was just to keep coming. and He's doing the same thing out there. Those people ain't dummies. You know how the Holy Spirit come after you? That's what He's doing out there. He loves people. And so God's not a tolerant God. If He was tolerant, He would have never nailed His Son to a tree. He's merciful. He's long-suffering. Big difference. And it's, He don't want you out there doing your thing. He wants you and I doing His thing. He wants us to be in His will, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's the will of God. And He's not settling for anything less. You know, some of the ways I witness to people, especially prodigals, I've went to several of them in the last few years, and I said, I just, I remember in particular going to one of them's apartment, knocking on the door, and I just looked at them, and I said, I'm not going to heaven without you. So get your stuff, we're going. <laughs> I mean, just be after them. Be after them like Jesus is. He loves people, but go after them. You and I have to fish. There's ponds, rivers, oceans, lakes. The harvest is ready. But the laborers are few. You know why the laborers are few? Because we're not acting like these people did in Hebrews. The Bible said they were pilgrims and strangers. We're trying to build a kingdom down here. We're just passing through, man. That's all we're doing. We need to live like we're passing through. And live in faith and realize that the only thing that has value to God is people. Because He's going to burn everything else up. Lord, we thank You for this time we've had together. We thank You for Your Word. and We are justified by what You did, Jesus. and You've given us a position that we didn't deserve or earn. And Your will is what we need in our lives. Let it be in our lives. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be strong. Help us to be in the power of Your might. Live in our lives, not our own strength. Help us to realize what You've done inside of us in this new covenant. Help us to realize we've been clothed with your righteousness. That our righteousness is as filthy rags. And Lord, we pray that everybody under the sound of my voice would be ready to give a man an answer for the hope that they have in them. This hope that has come through you, Jesus. You have reconciled us to God. And you've given us the ministry, according to Corinthians chapter 5, you've given us the ministry of reconciliation. May we be faithful to reach out to others in Jesus' name. Amen.